Thank you. So, Perseverance of the Saints, chapter 17 of our confession. Uh, there are only three paragraphs in this uh, chapter. Uh, the first one uh, lays out and summarizes everything that's to come. Uh, it does define it in a particular way, and that's what we're, we're really going to look at in this first paragraph. And then the other two sort of expound on what's there. So this chapter does get a little repetitive, uh, but it's a good repetition. It's something that we need to constantly remember and repeat to ourselves, right? That God's grace does sustain us. So paragraph one, we're just going to read this in its entirety. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit and given the precious faith of his elect unto can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved, seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, from which source he still begets and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality. And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fashioned upon. Notwithstanding, through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same. And they shall be sure, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation." they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being engraved upon the palm of his hands, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. Now we're going to break down this paragraph. We're actually going to spend a lot of time in this paragraph because, again, it's the biggest one. It summarizes what is to come. So we're going to spend a lot of time here in this paragraph. Uh, The first thing that I want us to look at here, uh, skipping the first little uh, phrase, um, this confession then defines what is, this paragraph defines what is perseverance. And the first thing we see here is that this chapter is addressing Christians. Okay? Um, we're going to get into this after this, uh, but this, there's, there's an important reason why our confession does not start with just a bare definition of perseverance, but rather starts with who is it? That is preserved. And we'll get into that in a second. So Christians can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace. That's what our confession says. This is perseverance stated negatively. Right? They can neither totally nor fall nor finally fall from the state of grace. Why do you think... Um, this is my first question today. Why do you think our confession uh, speaks there of um, totally... Like, why is that a modifier? Why is that describing uh, uh, what um, the, the fall from grace, fall from the state of grace? Why does our confession say totally there? What do you think? No wrong answers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you can stumble. Right, but you can't totally fall. Yeah, it's great. Was there a hand over here? There was, but Okay, same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, Christians can stumble. Our confession's going to get to that in the next two paragraphs. In fact, even in this paragraph, uh, but they cannot totally fall 
from the state of grace. What about finally? Why do you think our confession palettes finally fall from the state of grace? Is it the same thing? Are they just sort of repeating that emphasis there? Or is there something that they're kind of bringing in with that word finally there? Yeah, that's good. Right, right. So you'll, you'll reach the final glorification because the Lord will not give up, right? The Lord is not going to repent of his saving you. So then we have it stated positively, right? Now, negatively, we see this all throughout Scripture, right? Uh, in fact, uh, John 10 um, really famous passage. Uh, Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So you hear this stated negatively, that, that no one is able to remove the Christian from the grace, the favor, the state of grace, um, by their disobedience, by their trial, sufferings, those sorts of things. Then you have it positively stated here. But shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So they certainly persevere to the end and they are eternally saved. And again, Philippians 1.6, right? Very well-known passage. Uh, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is what our confession is getting at here. That you will be preserved. That the Christian is kept in the favor and grace of God. This brings up a lot of questions. We're going to be answering those as we make our way through this. For instance, who perseveres, right? So again, you'll notice this paragraph begins with those whom God has accepted in the Beloved. Not simply with just stating a definition of perseverance. Why do you think it's important that our confession begins here by defining who perseveres and not just defining perseverance in general. Why start with this emphasis on those who persevere? Explain. Well, perseverance is a kind of thing Yeah. Um, right. So... Uh, those who um, are persevered must be those who are justified, right? Who are called, sanctified. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Um, this question of who perseveres is uh, it's essential to what we mean when we define perseverance. Uh, in fact, uh, you can't really understand this chapter without the context of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this chapter uh, almost... Uh, point for point, is rejecting or opposing, critiquing views of Roman Catholicism. For instance, who perseveres? Those who make themselves acceptable by their work, right? The Roman Catholic Church denies the perseverance of the saints because they ground acceptance with God in the grace and the work of man. And as the reformers were uh, you know, constantly beating that drum, if it's up to me, even in the least bit, I'm in trouble, right? Not going to persevere. If it's up to me in the least bit to make myself acceptable, I'm not persevering. 
But our confession says it is those whom God has accepted in the Beloved. So those who are accepted, not by their works, but in Christ. What about those who remain acceptable by their works? Right? So, again, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you have to remain within the favor of God what it means for you, how you persevere, those who persevere, are those who remain acceptable by their works. Our confession says those effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit. Now, you know, we just saw last week that that good works are necessary for salvation as the fruit of salvation, right? Not the root, not the cause of salvation. And so we would say that those who persevere are obviously those who obey, those who follow the law in some sense, right? But we would say that that is the case in the way that good works are the fruit of the Spirit's work here in sanctifying. And so the the reformers in the Catholic Church, the, the Catholic Church is putting the onus on man in perseverance, Whereas you can see here, it's God, right? It's the Spirit who sanctifies, who keeps us. We see this in, obviously, Romans 8, right? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So it is God who predestines, God who works to conform us by the Spirit in sanctification. That is a grace of God to the image of his Son. That is how we are preserved. That is who perseveres. What about those in the Roman Catholic Church? Right? I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church restricts salvation to membership in its church, right? But we, the, the Reformers in our confession, we restrict salvation to membership in the universal church, right? The bride of Christ. Now that has expression in the local body, right, that we're going to get to in a second, but it's not those who are in the Roman Catholic Church, it's those given the precious faith of his elect, faith which is a gift, right? Why do you think our confession speaks of uh, elect here? That it's, it's the precious faith of his elect. Why is election spoken of? As we're speaking of who perseveres, why are we talking? Why is election spoken of here, those who are elect. Yeah? It would differentiate them from those who were not of genuine saving faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So it's those who are elect, who genuinely are given, right, who are given the, the gift of faith, an elect of God who perseveres. I think it also beautifies the doctrine of election. You know, we can often get uh, into arguments over election and things like this, and it becomes this, like, doctrine that we're sort of just arguing about uh, rather than seeing the beauty of and, and reveling in. And this right here, this is the implication, the perseverance of the saints is the implication of election. That God has elected you, Christian, to glory. So you will persevere to glory. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, how do the elect, how do we as Christians persevere? This is also uh, 
an important distinction that our confession makes here. Is it by penance? Right? So, again, we're here at the Roman Catholic Church. The, the, the problem with penance uh, is the state of grace, what takes place regarding the Christian in the state of grace in the act of penance. Right? So penance is uh, the work of the Christian to confess, repent, and basically promise uh, to do better. I know that's a very uh, elementary way of saying it. Um, they receive absolution from the priest, and upon doing so, their state of grace is restored. Right? So penance brings someone who has fallen out of the state of grace back into, it restores them to that state of grace. How do the elect persevere? Well, they have to keep doing penance, right? Our confession says that all of these things that we've just talked about, those who are elect persevere seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So our confession highlights here that we are preserved, we persevere, not because we are repentant, right, ultimately, but because God is without change. God is immutable. God does not repent, right? And so he has saved you and will not repent of this change. We're going to come back to this again and again and again, that the doctrine of God grounds our understanding that we persevere as Christians. I mean, we even see that in, you know, the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Think about that statement. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So there's the doctrine of God that he does not change, right? He's immutable, and therefore his gifts of grace and salvation, his calling of you out of this world and into the world of Christ, right? The transformation of regeneration these things are also without change. Once again, we see that our confession and the Reformers are really turning on its head the idea that we have something to play in our perseverance. What about, again, by continuing in obedience? Well, no. Our confession says, from which source his immutable, changeless being from which source he still begets and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality. You see this a lot. I'll ask you. Where do we see this number two, not just in the Roman Catholic Church? Is there a place that we see this in Protestant circles? That, that what... We, what keeps us persevering, what keeps us in the favor of God, is that we have to continue to obey. Do we see that somewhere? Jacob? Uh, circles that talk about final justification, hmm. um, where you're not fully justified until um, the end, uh, judgment day. But in order to reach that, you have to basically continue in obedience. Right. So the idea that at the end time when we are glorified, the Lord is going to take into account our continued obedience throughout our life to justify us finally on the last day. This is a very popular perspective among uh, some evangelical uh, pastors and theologians. Pastor Nathan? 
Yeah, it is. Look and see how uh, the, the, the notion on rededicating your life to Christ. Yep. Right? You gotta, you gotta go back and start all over to get back in God's good right. graces again. Right. You gotta go through the whole ritual again. Sometimes people will be baptized again. Yep. Um, so you, you see that, but there's this unspoken assumption that, okay, you're saved by some sort of decision of prayer, but really you're kept in the kingdom yeah. by, I don't know, keeping up with your quiet time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's very prevalent, right? Um, I think that if you were to ask uh, many, um, you know, Protestant um, Christians as well as uh, pastors, um, what keeps us in the favor of God? Is it that God is immutable and from which he begets and nourishes in us faith and repentance? Um, we're having a completely different conversation, right? But I would also say in all of us, right? When, when, you, when you sin, when you fall, isn't the temptation often to believe that I've, I'm out of the favor of God, right? You begin to doubt your salvation. You begin to, to say, well, okay, now I've really got to, to start obeying, not out of gratitude for the forgiveness that I have for that fall, but rather I've got to make something up. Right? I've got to make up lost ground, lost time with God. And so you start living as if this is true of us as well. Um, there was one reformer, I don't want to say it was Calvin because I don't think it was, who said there's a, a little bit of Rome in all of us. Um, that we're, we, we're all, that's why the Catholic system is so popular. is because we want to earn something. Right? We want to say, I, just, just give me a list of things to do that keep me, and I'll just get to work. Like, that's what we want to hear. We don't want to hear that God is immutable and will never change and always from that source beget and nourish in you faith, repentance, obedience, hope, joy, and these things. Yeah, Pastor Nathan. I mean, this is just, we've talked about this before, Cody, the law is natural to us. Yeah, it is. It's written on our hearts. Yep. So we're drawn to... We don't need an external source right. to tell us law, to tell us justice, yep. to tell us what we deserve, what we need to do. Right. But the gospel is that foreign, outside of us message. Yes. This is, we are forgiven, cleansed, and justified, not based upon us, but yep. based upon Christ. Yeah. And that's, we struggle all of our lives to believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what Luther said, right? The hardest... Uh, the, the hardest thing about being a Christian is believing that you are one, right? By grace and not by your works. Like that's the hardest thing to, to believe as a Christian. So yeah, it's very applicable to even us today. So in summary there, the elect persevere because God is immutable. And therefore, God's gift of salvation and his work in sanctifying you are without change. So it, this is so important. Again, we're going to come back to this time and time again. 
but it just it needs to be said as clearly as possible that our doctrine of perseverance is tied to a doctrine of God. A denial of perseverance of the saints is also tied to a doctrine of God. So if you start meddling with the attributes of God like immutability, you're going to have implications for doctrine like this. You're going to. This leads us to the necessity. Why? I mean, we've kind of talked about this, but let's just hear it. Why is it necessary that we believe that God persevere us? Anyone. Why? Chris? Put your hand up. No? Oh, sure. Okay. Why is it necessary that we believe that God persevere us? Well, because election has to be something. Otherwise, it's not election. Okay. That's good. Yeah, it has a goal, right? An end to it. Yeah, that's great. Jacob? Uh, because the Father has promised the Son to rise. Okay. Yeah, that's great. We're going to get to that. You're jumping ahead with me. Uh, the Father has promised the Son a bride, um, and so that bride will persevere. Cherry? Yes, absolutely. Um, We are faced with trials, with suffering. We're faced as well with sin, as we're going to see, both from outside of us and within. Uh, Our confession here sees that the context of the Christian life is suffering, trials, temptation. Uh, the reason why this is our picture, you can't really see it that well, but it's kind of Leto. He had a series of paintings on ruins, and uh, Roman ruins. And what he has here, it's one of my favorites, um, is, and he does this throughout his ruins series, is it's the ruins of Rome, and then there are just people, like this lady's doing laundry in the foreground. Right? So the context of her life um, are these ruins. Right? And it's something that it tells us, it teaches us, but this confession is teaching us as well, that the necessity of perseverance, the context, I would even say, of perseverance is this right here. Many storms and floods, and ri- uh, many storms and floods arise and beat against them. Yet, they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon. Now, what's the rock? There, again, anybody, just shout it out. Jesus. Yes. All right, Ben. Way to go. Yes. What I love about our wording here uh, in the confession um, is the verb fastened upon. Who's done that? Who fastened you upon the rock? Right? God has fastened you upon the rock. And so all those storms and floods, trials, suffering will arise and beat against the Christian, God has fastened fastened the Christian to Christ the rock. And so he will not be shaken. There's also the context of sin, like Charity was speaking of. Right? Uh, Notwithstanding, through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Now, our next paragraph, we're going to get into what that means, uh, what that looks like. 
Um, but you know, the, the idea that the Christian life is one of victory and triumph, that doesn't take into account right, our sin, our failings, our temptations, uh, it undermines the grace of God in persevering us. To the extent that I can keep myself in the favor of God apart from grace, to that extent, I'm undermining the work of God. Because it's me. I can do this. Now, I do want to ask here, how can this doctrine be abused? Can it? Can this doctrine of perseverance, given our suffering, our trials, given even our sin and our temptations, can this doctrine be abused? Taken to extremes? What does that look like? Casey? If I'm saved, does it matter if I continue to sin? Yeah, right. If I'm going to be persevered, no matter what happens to me, can't I just do whatever I want? And God will just keep me in his favor? Kim? Also, on the other side, it can be used um, to, to be guilt-ridden. If you take uh, like John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So yeah. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm constantly falling in sin, so I must not love God. Yeah. But they don't read the rest of that verse, right? Right. Yeah. Right. To, right. to be able to uh, be with you forever, to sustain. But, but yeah, a lot of um, um, people can be beat up by that. It's like, well, yeah, you're not, you're not obeying, so you must not love God. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. So what Kaysen's getting at there is easy believism, right? Um, that the Christian can sin all they want because God will persevere them. How do we respond to that objection? Like if someone, you take, you, let's say you taught someone this, and they were like, okay, well that means I can do whatever I want, because God's going to keep me in his favor. What do you say? How do you respond to it? By no means. By no means. By no means, yeah. Nice. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, Romans 6, right? This is the question that's asked in Romans 6.1. Uh, as grace abounds all the more, can we just continue living in sin? And what does Paul say? What Paul brings in is, is not the law, right? By no means you better not, right? It's by no means you've died in Christ. We just saw this same thing, right? Can the Christian continue in sin because they're being pers- persevered by God? Well, no, because the Christian, if he's genuinely a Christian, will be by God nourished in faith in repentance, in love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit. Chris? Yeah, that initial repent and believe, repentance comes to this, you know, hating sin, turning away from sin, so if you still are, you have that idea that, oh, I can just go on and sin, I can do whatever I want to cover, it's like, well, did you truly repent then? Yeah. It sounds like you're hating sin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is all great answers. Yes. Good stuff. All right, so one last note on this. Um, The paragraph kind of summarizes up what we've spoken of so far. How do the elect persevere? Because of who God is. Uh, This is my favorite sentence in our confession. It's my favorite moment in our confession. Okay? So just think of this. 
Through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight and light of, of the light and love of God may be for a time clouded and obscured from them. Yet he is still the same. I love that. Yet he is still the same. And they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession. This is the how of our perseverance. This is the summary of everything we've just considered. It is, again, founded on our doctrine of God. Because God does not change, yet he is still the same. They shall surely be kept. Because God does not change our purchased possession, right? So you, right, your salvation purchased by the blood of Christ will not be sold. Because God does not change. We also see it's because of what God has promised, right? They being engraved upon the palm of his hand and their name having been written in the book of life from all eternity. So this, is a, this gets into what Jacob mentioned, the, the covenant of redemption, right? The pactum salutis, as we've talked about um, in times past. Titus 1, 1 through 3, I've read this before. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, sound familiar? It's literally what our paragraph says, the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And the big question, the obvious question, is who did God promise the eternal life of the elect to before the ages began? Who does he promise that to? Absolutely. It's the Father promising the eternal salvation, the perseverance of the saints to the Son. And then the Son is going to come to accomplish what has been promised. To rescue a bride for His glory. And so what the Father promised Christ here, notice that eternal life, that's glory, right? So what the Father promised the Son before the ages began was a people who would be glorified. A bride who would be beautified in the presence of God. And that is the promise upon which we now stand in grace and remain in grace. It's not even initially, although it is secondarily, the promise of God to save you. It's a promise within the Trinitarian life of God that the Father in the covenant of redemption promised the Son a people. And God will not... Go back on that promise. And Christ will give God no reason. He'll give the Father no reason to go back on that promise. You will, right? We all are going to give Christ plenty, the Father plenty of reason to go back on that promise. But Christ, our righteousness, will not. And so we ever remain engraved upon the palm of his hands and our names written in the book of life from all eternity. They will not be erased. That is how we persevere because of who God is and because of the covenant of redemption. Now, the next few paragraphs we're going to spend a a very short amount of time on um, because, again, these are just expanding on everything that we've just seen. Okay? So the ground of our perseverance, paragraph two. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, 
upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit, and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. This might be one of the best chapters in our confession on the doctrine of God, besides the chapter on the doctrine of God, right? So we do not persevere because of our free will or our obedience. So, so not the law, right, but the gospel, not us, but God. But our perseverance does depend on our God as triune, right? We have God the Father there. And again, he speaks of, our confession speaks of the immutability of the decree of election, right? And also the unchanging love of God. Uh, when I have someone talk to me usually about like they, they're, they're struggling uh, with their faith um, because of some suffering or, or some grievous sin uh, and they feel uh, that they aren't saved, right? That God's let go, so to say. That's what I've heard one man say to me. Um, the book I have them read outside of Scripture is a book on the doctrine of God. Because I think it is what comforts us when we think that we have lost our faith, that the Lord has turned his back on us because of our suffering, because of our trials, or because of our failures in temptation, reminding ourselves of the immutability, the attributes, the nature of who God is as triune is a wonderful, wonderful comfort to us. And so here we see, right, like, the earlier chapters of our confession on the Trinity, on the doctrine of God. This is why studying the doctrine of God is important. It has implications. But we also see chapter 8 on Christology. The efficacy of the merit and intercession of Christ and union with him. So his merit fully satisfies, and we talked about this in chapter 8, fully satisfies the demands of divine righteousness and his priestly office. He continues to intercede on our behalf when we do fall. And of course, this is supplemented by the reality of our union with him. You know, once uh, Renahan, uh, Jim Renahan says, once joined to Christ, only Christ can break that bond. But Christ will not. And then finally, God the Holy Spirit. I love this. The abiding of his spirit. The abiding of his spirit. It is the Spirit's work to indwell the believer, and the Spirit has promised to abide. Now we see uh, perseverance of the saints throughout the early church, especially in Augustine, right? Uh, He's the really famous one, um, and it's generally why people will say that's Augustinian, right? That's an Augustinian doctrine. It's really just Augustine kind of um, honed in this doctrine, uh, wrote a whole treatise on it, um, all of these things. But it's actually prevalent throughout uh, the early church. Um, I had a bunch of quotes, but uh, we just we don't have time uh, to be running through a bunch of quotes. But I do have one um, that actually shows us how God is the ground for our perseverance. Of course, it's Cyril of Alexandria. Um, Jacob. Uh, all right, so, as he is the truth, the one who is by nature holy... He will sanctify with his own blood those who believe, and he will make them superior to death and corruption. That is, stated negatively, he will bring them to glory. 
And so he will give them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. For it is by him that we are held up, and we have him as a secure base that cannot be shaken. It's a wonderful quote that shows us how the ground of our perseverance is our triune, unchanging God. Then finally, our confession uh, tackles the certainty of perseverance in chapter 3. And though they may, through the temptation of Satan in the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of means of their preservation, fall into grievous sin, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves, yet shall they renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. So what causes uncertainty? This is where we'll, we'll come to a close here. What causes uncertainty? We're talking about the certainty of perseverance. What causes uncertainty? Sin. sin. Yeah. So sin in us. Doubt. Doubt. Yeah. Doubt. Right. Charity. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So even unrepentant sins um, in the state that that brings us in, right? Being under the discipline of God's hand, right? The disciplinary hand of the Lord. Lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. Yeah, these are all great. Um, and what our confession actually gets at. Christians may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. Do not presume... I hear this all the time uh, from Pastor Nathan. Uh, do not presume that the Lord will grant you repentance. Like, you know, you go to, to sin, right? But you presume that the Lord is going to give you repentance from that. It's a gift. You may fall into that sin and remain there for a time. And it could ruin your life. It could ruin your family, your church, your job. Right? Those are all just temporal things, but it hinders and, and um, dislodges the, the communion that you have with God. Sin is dangerous. It is not something to be trifled with because Christians can fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. How? Through the temptation of Satan in the world. Right? We just... We just you know, we're talking about that. So Satan and the world tempt you for this purpose, right? They don't tempt you. The, the world, Satan doesn't tempt you because uh, uh, he wants to trick you into doing something uh, you, you know you're going to like. No, he wants you to fall, right? Not that you would falter, but that you would fall. And so knowing you will be preserved by the grace of God, fight temptation. The same is true of your fallen nature. Again, do not presume upon your strength. That I'm strong enough. I can put myself in these situations and fight sin and I'll be preserved. 
Finally, the neglect of the means of their preservation. Uh, this has reference uh, back uh, to the early portion of our confession, um, uh, as well as our catechism um, on what brings about faith and repentance, and it's the means of grace. Right? It's the preaching of the word and the Lord's table. It's fellowshipping with the body here on Sunday morning. It's gathering here on Sunday morning. Instrumental in the fall of the Christian into grievous sin is neglecting the means by which God has promised to strengthen your faith. To strengthen you in your doubts and in your temptations. And that's here, Sunday morning. But it also leads to, right, falling into grievous sin leads to many terrible things. They incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit. They come to have their graces and comforts impaired. They have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. They hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Do you see how this is so all-encompassing? You know, while you cannot fall from the state of grace, you can fall into God's fatherly displeasure. And fall under his discipline. You can't have your graces, right, your holiness, your growth in godliness, even your comforts in the Christian life impaired by your sin. Your heart can be hardened. Your conscience wounded so that sin no longer bothers you. Sin no longer leads you to repentance and confession. Two, you can hurt and scandalize others. The idea that your sin only affects you is a lie. Even if no one knows about it, it is a lie. And bring temporal judgments, right? Your sin does not, uh, the grace of God doesn't keep you uh, from going to jail, right, from incurring uh, uh, the folly of sin in this world. Your sin is a serious matter, right? Like we were just talking about, the abuse of this doctrine is that, oh, well, we won't take sin seriously, right? I can do whatever I want, but our confession ends with how serious sin is. The abuse of perseverance of the saints is a low view of sin and a low view of the grace of God. Because it's the grace of God that leads us to repentance, faith, obedience, good works, these kind of things. So it's a low view of that, but it's also a low view of sin. Sin is dangerous. Yet. Yet. Another great yet. They shall renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ to the end. So the genuine Christian may fall right into grievous sin. But he will always repent and always have faith because both repentance and faith are a gift. So in summary, first we have perseverance defined. Christians who are united to Christ and sanctified by the Spirit can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. The ground of that perseverance is the immutable God. The Father, Son, and Spirit who covenanted to save, sanctify, and glorify us in the new covenant. And finally, the certainty of that perseverance. Though we may fall, repentance and faith remain a gift 
given freely to us by grace. That's all we've got. Uh, we've got a couple minutes for questions. Anyone? That's a lot uh, that we just covered. Um, any questions, comments, thoughts on what we've just covered? Yep, Ben? Well, if they're a genuine believer, uh, their lack of repentance in that moment uh, does not dictate uh, where they end, right, uh, in glory. The lack of repentance doesn't. Um, the, the, the genuine believer who is converted may go through a season, right, as we've just seen, um, of unrepentant sin. They may die in that season, right? Um, but the state in which you die, if you're a Christian, will always be grace. Even if you're under a time of discipline, right, from the Father. Because the one who's disciplining you is still your Father. Right? He's disciplining you as your Father. So you're still a child of God and you die in that state. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely case by case. Um, you know, um, and I have friends and family members who are definitely in a state of, of a lack of repentance, um, backslidden. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely is case by case. Uh, there will come a time, right, where um, as that state remains and continues, you continue to share the gospel with them, seek to bring them to repentance, um, and treat them as such. All right, let's go ahead and... Oh, yep. Um, I've been doing a study on the Lord speaking. Uh-huh. And I just looked at this. Uh, I think it's one of the scriptures. And it says, um, My mercy I will keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast. His seed also will I make to endure forever. Yeah. And his throne as the days of heaven. And it says that um, one of the scriptures talks about we have the seed yeah. remaining. <coughs> yep. And because of that, yeah. this is that eternal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you get into adoption there, um, that the, the work of adoption is an eternal work um, uh, of God in our lives. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. All right, we've got to end. We're out of time. Let's pray.